Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. With me, as always, is Cynthia Kao. Cynthia, how are you? Hey, Josh. It's been good to have a, a nice summer break. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking about this before we started. Last week, you and I, for the first time, got to meet face-to-face. People don't, I don't think they realize that, you know, we're <laughs> so far apart. You're in the D.C. area. I'm in Portland, Oregon. And so last week you were in Seattle and we got a chance to to connect. It was great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to kind of travel a little bit and just get away from our screens and actually see each other as human beings. Um, you know, the, the great thing about this platform is that you can do everything digitally and virtually. Um, but there's always, you know, a great magic that happens when you meet people face to face. It was so much fun. I mean, we obviously we've known each other for a long time uh, because both you and I do work for Operation Code. But. Uh, again, we'd, we'd not seen each other before in person. It was so much fun, uh, getting together, grabbing drinks, grabbing, uh, food with friends. Uh, so, so much fun. Glad, glad we got a chance to do that. We got to do it again. Me too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, you know, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. This is episode 106. I can't believe we're into the hundreds now. Uh, but every week we bring in these amazing people, uh, that are business owners that have one little extra thing in their resume and that is service to our country. And this week we have an amazing founder. Uh, who has been running a business for a long time. Uh, Get Payroll is his business. His name is Charles Reed. Charles, welcome to the show, sir. Uh, Josh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and Cynthia. Uh, Thanks for having me on. This is great. Uh, You know, you have a long history. Obviously, you know, you you were in the Vietnam era, you combat vet Vietnam era, which is amazing. We're going to get into that. But um, let's, people don't know the story of Charles Reed. So let's back up the tape. What what prompted you to get into the Marines? The Mar- you were in the Marines. I was in the Marines. My family has been citizen soldiers for uh, since the Revolutionary War. Wow. My, my great, 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 great grandfather signed the Declaration of Independence and all that kind of stuff. Oh, my oh, goodness. Wow. So my father served. Two of my sisters served. My grandfather served. My great-grandfather served. That's amazing. We, we all just served. Yeah. So uh, I was young and dumb, and I wanted a, <laughs> a tough outfit, so I joined the Marines. Dad was Navy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Marine Corps is, of course, part of the Department of the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. What were, what were, what were, what were, what Ow. It hurts. <laughs> we won't talk about what Marine stands for, but we'll use that for yeah. another conversation. <laughs> what, what, were, <laughs> what were family gatherings like for you uh, then? And if you were in the Marines? Well, I was one of my sisters was a Marine officer. I was enlisted. It's amazing. So it was it was it was strange. I remember I was uh, sitting on the floor of the house on uh, leave one time, and I was spit shining my shoes, mm-hmm. literally spit shining my shoes, as my DI had taught me how to do. Yeah. And she couldn't believe I was actually spitting on my shoes. She just thought that was gross. <laughs> so she got to I, boss you around at home as well. <laughs> well, she tried. Uh, you know, you know, Marine sergeants just don't put up with crap from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But you were in when, you know, we were in a major conflict. Talk a little bit about that part of your life because I I can't imagine 
entering into the military and we go into a conflict such that was such a profound conflict like the Vietnam War. So talk a little bit about what you experienced, you know, as much as you'd like to. And and what you know, maybe talk a little bit about what surprised you about about being in the Marines. Well, you know, the Marine Corps is 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 a life and a and a world unto its own. Yeah. If you've been in there, you know what it is. If you haven't, you have no idea. So uh, you know, I joined in boot camp, of course, was eye-opening to say the least, uh, ITR and all the rest of it, infantry training. Uh, I was trained as a computer programmer and systems engineer was my main MOSs, but I got sent to v- uh, Okinawa. And then in Okinawa, I kept asking for a transfer to Vietnam. Hmm. I was young and dumb. <laughs> um, and so I got there and then I got myself transferred to a uh, local uh, combat outfit because I didn't want to just be in the uh, Computer center. So I actually got transferred and saw some limited combat. Uh, and the first time, uh, because I was the smart guy, they made me carry the, the radio. That That's just like putting a target on your back, I promise you. Yeah. So I'm carrying around this Perk 25 uh, with a long whip antenna. And we're going through a village and a, uh, one of the inhabitants opens up on us with an automatic weapon. So I dive to the ground. I lift my head up to see what's going on, and of course, I wear glasses. So the helmet hits the radio and shoves my glasses down on my nose so I can't see. So I bent my head down, pushed my glasses up, lifted my head up, and did the same damn thing. Oh, man. And after three times, I took my helmet off, and my sergeant was screaming at me, what the hell am I doing? Take my helmet off so I could see. I never wore the radio that high again, I, I promise bet. you. But uh, that, was my, that was my first firefight. Oh, man. Uh, and it was pretty much over by the time I could see what was going on. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. What a story! Oh boy! How, how long well, were you in in uh, in the field out out in, in combat like that? Six months. Oh man! Six months. You probably will never ever ever forget. No, the the first time one of them went, one of the bullet went whistling past my left ear, not my right ear, my left ear. I asked myself, Charles. What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you stupid? Wow, wow! But so, I survived, uh, you know, pretty much intact. So you know, a, a lot of my buddies and and brothers didn't. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm yeah. perfectly happy. Yeah, I've got a cousin that's on the wall, and every time I go to DC, we we yeah. go by and we pay our respects. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it was a is a crazy time. What do you think? You know getting through that process of going through boot camp and being out in the field and I and I asked this question a little bit but what do you think if anything surprised you about all of the, your experiences in the Marine Corps well uh, dad was uh, a World War II veteran and grandfather was World War one and World War two hmm. so I'd heard stories of course uh, and I guess the surprising thing is, you know, we, we got through it. We worked together. Uh, we were a team. Uh, we just did what was necessary. I mean, you know, it's not the movies. Uh, it's real life. And you're a team and you're out there and you just get it done. You accomplish the mission. That's, that's you know, the Marine Corps way, mission, men, and self. Hmm. So your job is to accomplish the mission and you just do whatever it takes to get it done in what would be otherwise horrifying circumstances and conditions and threats yeah. and danger. You just get it done and you just 
one step at a time, one more step, one more step, one more step. You just do it. Yeah. Instead was there any screaming into the into the bush someplace? <laughs> yeah. Was there anything that um, you had to? I'm sure that you had to adapt really quick because you know that entire um, operation was you know there's only so much you can train for, and then you get out there and you realize it's it's another you know scenario. Um, were there specific moments that you remembered? You know wow, if I hadn't had this training or if I hadn't gone through um, the, the boot camp that I did, you know, I wouldn't have been around. Like, were there specific stories that you remember? There was, uh, there was a lot of that. I'd already been to guerrilla warfare school in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was familiar with a lot of the tactics and, and, and things that we did. Uh, setting up Claymore mines was always a, a fun thing because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're a little dangerous. So, and, and live grenades and live ammunition. I think the, the, the biggest thing that we hadn't been trained on was how to deal with combat center on the radio mm-hmm. uh, because they were just insane to deal with. They, they wanted constant information. And there were times I just wanted to turn the damn thing off and tell them to shut up because mm-hmm. I had the enemy around me that I didn't want to be talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I will give you one story about Vietnam. Probably the most peaceful moment in my life. We were north of Red Beach, oh, eight or 10 miles going out on interdiction patrol. And it was close to sunset. We were walking out across the dikes, the, the rice paddy dikes, at 10 yard intervals. So you really weren't talking to anybody. It was sunset. The uh, sun was down, but it was, it was dusk. Uh, you could see the purple mountains up uh, above the Namo River to the north, the hills rising in, in, in stair step fashion. The daytime insects were pretty much quiet. The nighttime hadn't come out yet, so it was extremely peaceful, uh, gentle. It was fall. Uh, the weather was just beautiful. It was warm and, and humid, of course, but not overly so. And as we're walking through that just bucolic scene, the Buddhist gong in the temple in the village behind us uh, starts to ring, mm-hmm. and you have this deep low tone that just rolls across the countryside. And that may have been the most peaceful moment I've ever had in my life. Wow. In the middle of combat. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's pretty amazing. That's a great pe- story. Yeah. People don't think of combat as memorable or peaceful <laughs> and that you can find positive things. And, you know, when I go back and recall some of the moments when I was in Sudan during, you know, the civil mm-hmm. war, there were some pretty amazing photo shots that I got and yep. they're unbelievable. And, um, you know, they were far and few between in, in the middle of some craziness, but, um, I think reframing definitely helps, you know, when you try to remember some of the, the moments that you had that made an impression on the local people or, um, some of the peacekeeping talks I had or going to like the refugee camps and just seeing the sunrise, over the Nile River, exactly how you described it was that was like a peaceful moment in the middle of the craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, if you if you look for those things, and, and Vietnam is a beautiful country, uh, very very green, very verdant, uh, full of life. Uh, obviously scarred up at that point in time. But it's a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have no interest in going back, but it was a beautiful country. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, too many other bad memories. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, so if you can find those things, and uh, there were lots of things, watching the boys, the the, the local boys, uh, using a uh, water buffalo as a diving board in the river, hmm. and just getting up and diving off of him and jumping in, and just they they were playing and having a great time one afternoon. Awesome. Those kinds of things are just uh, you you try and treasure those good memories. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I bet. So let's talk a little bit about your transition. When did you know this was it? I'm I'm ready to move on. I need to go into back into civilian life. Talk about your mindset about how you made the decision to move on and how you knew you were ready to go. Well, very frankly, they made the decision for me. (laughs) I didn't get along with a particular major after I'd been reassigned back to Kansas City. And he and I got into it, and I told him off in a way that he couldn't court-martial me because <laughs> uh, I was a smart ass. And uh, so he got even, and I ended up with an RE4 on my DD-214, not recommended for reenlistment. Because oh, no. I had seriously considered getting the NESAP program and getting my education and staying in and becoming an officer. Yeah. But the, just back in civilian life, in, in, in back in the U.S., in a base that was not a base, it was a... It was an office, you know, we were on uh, offsite housing and everything else. Uh, it was a different environment and it didn't work well for me and, and, and the core. So mm-hmm. uh, we parted ways. And uh, I, at that point in time, I'd gotten married. When I got back to Kansas City, I met my wife and married her. She had five children when I married her. Uh, I claim insanity. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I got out and... Uh, Started on my civilian career. Yeah. I was only 21, so it wasn't bad. Right, right. And then you you went to college, you got your MBA, and you, but, you know, I've read sort of a, a little bit about your background. Your, your family is really into business, so it wasn't a stretch for you to get into business out of the military. Talk a little bit about it, that. It wasn't. What happened was, uh, you know, I was a computer programmer and systems engineer. I, right. My skills were in high demand. But not for me because it was military, not civilian. Right. And I got told more than once that my military experience didn't apply. And, you know, they were kind of idiots. <laughs> so I figured I'd have to get my degree. So I went and quickly got my bachelor's and my master's, sat for and passed my CPA exam. Uh, but having grown up in a family business, I wanted to work at a major corporation, work up to the top. And it was in my early 40s I realized that I didn't have the political skills to do so. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to run a company, as my my father had, uh, I was going to have to start my own. Mm -hmm. So Ruth and I started ours when I was uh, 41, 30 years ago. Wow. And uh, been successful. That right there is that that's a motivational factor for a lot of people because I started my business late in life. I mean, I don't, I don't, I wasn't 41, I was maybe 36, 37, but, um, you know, still a lot later than a lot of people starting off businesses. And I transitioned from social work into my multimedia career um, late in life, too. So I think, you know, when people think, oh man, it's too late for me, or I'd love to start a business and they wait on it. To be honest, there's really no good age to right. start. And, and, and I'm glad I didn't do it earlier because I would have messed it all up. <laughs> I understand that one. And look, I, did, I went, and got back, went and got my U.S. tax court practitioner's license here about six years ago. Mm-hmm. 
So that's a whole new career as such, if you want to make it out, if you want to make it into one. So there's no age that stops you. It's, it's your mind that stops you. It's you're not willing to do what's necessary to do it. And as long as you're willing to do it, you know, I'm seriously considering going back to law school. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, get payroll is not your first foray into this industry. Talk a little bit about the first entry point, the first business you started that really got you into what you're doing today. Well, I started with Financial Express. It was a franchise operation uh, that went belly up. Mm. Ruth and I bought the, the, put it, I was working as their COO and bought the original operation because the board didn't want to be in operations. They wanted to be in selling franchises. Mm. So I bought that. And uh, a few months later, uh, they closed their doors and disappeared. And we changed the name and just kept on going. It was a mobile accounting service. Mm. We had some payroll on the side. We grew the accounting and the payroll. And then here about 10 years ago, I sold the accounting to my partner, uh, who's another CPA, and I just kept the payroll, and we've been running with that for the last 10 years. And uh, we're very pleased with it. I say we, uh, you know, my wife and I work together, and that's, working with your wife is not a natural thing. I was going to ask, hey, what's that, <laughs> that's ex- what's know, that experience my, par- like? my parents worked together all my life. Yeah. So I thought it was natural yeah right no, no it's, it's not, not a natural thing it is not a natural thing. <laughs> i can't imagine like i love my wife dearly we've been around together for going on 30 years but there's no way i could do that and work with her so kudos to you for being able to keep your sanity my friend well there were some things uh we we had to <laughs> she had a bad habit we'd get home We'd have dinner. We'd get ready for bed. We'd get into bed. And she'd have one more thing about business to get off her chest. <laughs> and she'd tell me about it, and she'd roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> and you couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm sitting there worrying about it until 2 or 3 in the morning when I finally can fall asleep. So we had to come to an agreement that after dinner, no more business. That's too I was going to say that, that that's the only way that I could probably survive is you, you, you talk business when you're doing work. So it's literally like compartmentalizing your personas. And then when you go home, it's like, okay, now you're married, you know, now you're husband and wife. Yeah. Um, but like, talk, talk to me about how you balance this with having a family because you had a big family. How, how did you manage to go back to school and you know, go to grad school, then start a business and have, keep up with the family demands. Motivation. If, if the Marine Corps teaches discipline and motivation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you have it, you can do anything you want. Uh, so we, we just managed to, to do it. By the time we started the business, the kids were grown. Mm-hmm. So that was easier, but I had them all through college and everything else. And we just scheduled things and ran things. Uh, you know, I coached their swimming team and, and did other things. I spent a lot of time with my kids. My parents didn't. Uh, so I made a point of, of being at all their events and helping with whatever they were doing and chaperoning and what whatever it took, uh, because I, that didn't happen to me. Yeah. Either here or there. So I, I did a lot of that. And we just we managed it. I worked and went to school and took care of them. And uh, Ruth worked and we we just made it work. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not, it's, you know, people think, wow, that's 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 huge. And to us, it was just life. 
Yeah. I, I love that piece of wisdom, though, because I, I often find that founders, when you have family or you have kids, there's kind of like this unspoken rule that you've got to be a workaholic and, mm. you know, there's no time for family. And I, I meet other women founders that are, they don't have kids and they're terrified of having kids or they're afraid to make the decision to have kids because they're like, I'm running my business. How am I going to stop and have time? And in my um, situation, I had my kids very young. I got married very young. And so it was never a question of, am I going to have kids? Or, you know, I already had my family before I started my business. But the good thing about that is, they were always kind of in the forefront of my mind, you know, and the kids will tell stories about, oh, mom would stay up till three, four in the morning, you know, doing video editing or coding. And they like miss me and fall asleep right next to me on the computer, which I look back and go, man, I, like, was I a good mom? You know, I could have, I could have been a better mom. And I, I felt guilty about putting my effort into growing a business when they were young, pretty young. But at the same time, you know, now that they're adults and they tell these funny stories like, oh, yeah, we were doing our homework until we fell asleep next to you <laughs> on the computer. When we woke up, you were still editing, <laughs> Oh man, you know, and I, so I'm like, OK, maybe they don't have bad memories about it. And I'm doing OK. They turned out pretty good. You know, they're good kids. Um, but there's constantly this battle between life and home. And I don't know if it's ever something that you can find balance with. I mean, you know, it sounds like you made a choice and, you know, once the kids were older, you're able to kind of focus. Well, there, I was at a, a panel here last year and they asked about work-life balance and I, yeah. for an entrepreneur and I just cracked up <laughs> uh, and I said, there is no such thing. You right. know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. And if your spouse and family doesn't understand, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. But but I started my business late, so I was in the corporate, uh, going to school and then corporate life with the kids. And, you know, if you love them and, and you care for them and you nurture them, uh, you know, kids are pretty resilient. Yeah. Uh, you give them love, that's everything else is kind of, you know, unnecessary. In this day and age, everybody gets everything. and. I've seen my neighbors spoil their kids with, with stuff and, and presents and huge Christmases and so on and so forth. You know, uh, my dad was, was, was struggling when I was young and, you know, I used to collect pop bottles and get the deposit and mm -hmm. sell candy to get summer camp and whatever else it took. Uh, when I got my first motorcycle at 16, uh, I went and worked in the fields, yeah. uh, picking beans and topping onions to yes. get the money to buy it. Nice. So, yeah. you know, that's just, kids are resilient. Though. Yeah. Yeah. They really if are. you love them. Yeah. Talk they'll manage. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what you took away from the military that's helped you in your business. So you, you talked a lot about hiring veterans and you make it a priority of making sure that veterans are part of the staff that you, that you hire on. But, but you personally, what do you think has helped you uh, from your time in the military be a better entrepreneur? We'll go back to the, the Marine Corps mantra. Yeah. Mission, men, self. I've seen more businesses ruined by the owner's ego. I've mm. worked for them and I've seen them and I've seen them destroyed because of an ego of, a, of an employer that thinks they're better than their employees, which is insanity. Right. You hire the best people you can. Sure, some of them may not be as smart because you have them doing things that don't require it. So what? They're getting the job done. They're making you money. Right. They're allowing you to succeed and to treat them with anything except uh, the utmost courtesy, kindness, and respect is stupid. 
And if you do it, uh, you deserve to go bankrupt. Hmm. The only problem I have with you going bankrupt is it puts them out of a job and they got to look for another one. Hmm. So mission, men, self in that order. And if you do that and you have discipline, you're almost unstoppable. Sure. You know, this business may not work, but the next one will. Yeah. Go after it. Yeah. What When you are thinking about your the businesses you've started along the way, what do you wish somebody would have told you early in that journey that could have mitigated any problems you've had along the way? Take $10 a week and stick it away and invest it. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd have followed my yeah. own advice, I'd be a rich man today and wouldn't have to work. <laughs> yeah. My dad well, said that from when I was young, too. He's like, that allowance you're getting, you need to put that away. <laughs> did you? <laughs> you know? Uh, well, I did for the <laughs> first part. But then once I started making money, I, I would go to the corner store and get all kinds of treats. Yeah. You yeah. know. <laughs> no, we, we, we all do the same thing. It's funny. I, you know, my, my uh, oldest is now 18. And you know, it, he just started his first job today, which was it's just crazy to me. That this is he's eighteen and now he's got his first job. You and us on the phone or on the call here. You know, we've all we all had jobs when we were younger, but it's interesting to see the older generation wait a little bit. Um, talk a little about about the things that you have done over the years that it could have scuttled everything you worked for. Like you look back and you say, "Man, if I would have not done that, I maybe would have gone better." Like your biggest screw up, your biggest lesson that you've learned oh lord and i know it's hard because as entrepreneurs we screw up things all the time right so all all the time (laughs) i mean you know uh i almost got divorced i'm so grateful i didn't uh we were married for 45 years before she passed oh Uh, that would have been a major screw up a major one was pissing off the major in in the marine corps uh that cost me (laughs) A military career if I'd wanted one. Sure. Uh, that was just stupidity and, and being young and, and arrogant and uh, a Marine. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if you're, you're not really a Marine until you've been busted at least once. Right. I was going to say. So, you know, I made corporal twice. Uh, so, you know, life goes on. Uh, those were, were two major things that, that one I did and one I almost did. Yeah. Uh, but Lots of little things. Not, I've been very lucky. I don't regret too many things. Uh, I, I regret not saving more money when I was younger because uh, <laughs> I'd be rich today. Yeah, that's that's my biggest regret. Though I'm 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 you know I'm not hurting now. Don't misunderstand. Uh, if there's one thing I wish I had really done, and it's personal. My daughter was complaining, and we tried to to get her treated at various places, and I didn't spend enough effort on it. Hmm. And she ended up having um, terminal ovarian cancer. Oh, sorry to hear and that. And if we'd caught that a year earlier, she might be alive today. Sure. And when we finally figured out what it was, uh, it was stage four. Oh, man. It was too late. Yeah, that's... I'm sorry to hear that. That's that's a huge blow. I think it also underscores a lot of the things that entrepreneurs don't seem to understand is that there are things that happen within life that have absolutely nothing to do with your entrepreneurial journey yeah. that you just kind of have to roll with punches and it, some are harder than others. 
Um, yes. Some are, you know, in my in my case, I lost friends that I thought, you know, it'd be great to go in business with friends. We talked earlier about going, you know, in business with family and, and spouse, but, you know, going into business with friends and then losing those friends, that was tough. Like, there are things that you go through and the mental toll that it can take to be an entrepreneur um, is is severe at times. And I don't think we spend a lot of time, we've, we've tried to do that here at this podcast, but talk a little bit about the the mental toll that it takes to be an entrepreneur. When I lost Shelly, my daughter, uh, it took me probably four months mm. uh, to get my head back in the game. And my clients were wonderful. My work was, was that I did as an accountant was terrible. Uh, and when I, when I finally got my head straight, I realized it, fixed it and apologized and, and caught it back up to where it needed to be. And not one of them gave me any grief. Hmm. They all understood. Yeah. Then when I lost Ruth six years ago, uh, after she had her first stroke, I would come in in the morning, go over to the hospital, sit in ICU with her all day. When they'd throw me out, I'd come back, stop into work. My staff just took care of everything for, for months. Hmm. Uh, they, they just they, they just took care of everything. Wow. I wasn't – we survived in, in spite of me, not, not because of me. So having a good staff, having good clients uh, – Makes all the difference in the world. If 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 you don't have that, uh, and you have a problem, you're going to fail. Mm. My clients all could have left and uh, left my business, you know, uh, broken. Same thing with my staff. They didn't have to do what they did. They just picked up the slack and did it all. And I'm I'm eternally grateful to them. Yeah. But I, I treat them well, and I I value them, and I always have. And when it was necessary, they just stepped up. Uh, I didn't ask him. They just did it and, and kept the business going and profitable and successful and growing uh, without me being present literally for another, oh, Lord, six months before we got Ruth home and, and had living caregivers. Mm. Uh, I could come back to the office uh, most of the day again. But uh, so, yeah, there's things in life that affect your entrepreneurial journey. And if you're not you don't roll with them; they'll they'll destroy you. Oh, I, I think it's really easy for people to think, "Oh, that that's not going to happen to me." You know, ah. it's going to happen. I mean, life is going to happen, and I think one of the greatest things are entrepreneurs that are transparent about their journey and about themselves. Because I think that if there really isn't that big of a divide between business and personal life, um, your business is part of you; it's an extension of you, and you know, I recognize that when I work with employees or colleagues that donate time in their day, they're probably spending more time with me and more time working with me than they are at home. And so we have to recognize that. And there's times when I've had developers tell me, hey, my spouse has a medical issue and I'm struggling with this. And we just relate to each other uh, on a human level. And we just put business aside and just talk for a sec. Because if you spend that much time with people and you don't treat them like an extension of how you'd like to be treated. That's how I've seen a lot of these businesses not do well. You know, yeah. your, your staff don't want to stick around. And I, I really think that it's a key and a testament to your personality. Um, the way you talk to your clients, you've established that rapport with them. 
um, and they knew you, they knew the type of work that you can do and they knew who you were. Um, and, and it's really like a big extended family because for them to step up and say, don't worry about it, you know, you've got to take care of family. That's, that's really big. It was. And, and, and how you treat people, clients and, 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 and staff and so on is it, so important because they will get you through these things if you let them. For instance, and I did an article on this for a, a magazine here, an interview. After Shelley died, I revamped our uh, bereavement policy for our employees. Whatever it takes. If you need three days, fine. If you need three weeks, take three weeks. Hmm. I don't care. We'll pay you. We'll support you. You'll get your paycheck. You take the time you need to do what you need to do. Uh, One of my key uh, young ladies, her father died, and it was her responsibility. And she took about three weeks. So what? Yeah, We got through it. Everything worked. And she's back at work and has been now for a number of years. Why, why would I want to live in her to three days if she needs three weeks? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if Now, if she's not a good employee, I've gotten rid of her anyway. So, you know, that's not the point. If, if they're not good people, I don't keep them. So why would I want to force a good employee to make that kind of decision unnecessarily? Her job or, or taking care of her, 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 father's, her father's death. What, what, what kind of choice is that for me to give her? Right. That's just insanity. So, no, we, we've changed things. We're, we're very uh, employee-centric. Uh, I've got a great staff, and, and they do great work. And, uh, you know, they become family like your clients do. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. you have, when you're in a client's pocketbook every day for every week or every two weeks for 30 years, they become friends as well. But when it's at work, you spend as much time or more time with them than you ever do with your family. So yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about the future of this. You know, you've been doing this payroll business for quite a while. Get payroll has been around for a long time. Where do you hope this goes in say the next five to 10 years? What do do you hope this, the evolution of your, your company ends up becoming? Well, we keep growing. We're, we're a small, one of the small national firms. I'd like to become one of the big national firms. Yeah. We're growing every week. Even through COVID, we continue to grow, and we're growing better now as COVID's retreating. Uh, we've got great marketing now that was something I didn't have early because I thought I could market and until I hired a marketing manager and realized I can't market my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> so I've got him on board and a staff that's doing that, and we're doing wonderfully. Uh, now, my staff says, you know, Charles, you're I turn 72 next month. When are you going to retire? And happy birthday. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And they want to know when I re- I'm going to retire because, frankly, the business is going to them. Yeah. My wife's gone. Uh, my kids are well grown and not interested in the business. So they're going to get the business. So they want to know when I'm going to retire. And I said, one of these days, you're going to come in and find me dead at my desk. Oh, I've no. retired. <laughs> oh, no. That's not good. No. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I, I joke about that too, though. You know, the kids are like, well, when are you going to retire? I'm like, what are you trying to say? I'm only in my 40s. I'm not ready yet. But to be honest, I, you know, if I could, I just would flex my time and continue to 
to do what I love to do because if you love something, you're passionate about it. This is something you've grown. And, you see, know? I, and it, it, it's not about the work. It's right. it's not about the work. It's about the people. I can. So I'm a boss like you. And if I don't want to show up some morning until 11 o'clock, okay. Yeah. Uh, if I if I want to take a week and go play at the uh, World Series of Poker in Vegas, I go. Uh, that's the thing I've worked very hard to be able to do is my time is now my own. Yeah. So I don't have to be here every day, every minute. I've got a great staff. I don't need to supervise them every minute of every day. Uh, in fact, with COVID, uh, for a while, they all work from home. Now, a number of them are working either Friday or Monday uh, at the house, and work still gets done. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have to be here, and, and I'm not a uh, theory ex-manager anyway. I don't um, detail manage everything they do. Uh, if I need to do that, I need to find a replacement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. Uh, Charles, uh, where can people find you online? Where, where's uh, get, get Payroll? Where are you online? Uh, GetPayroll.com. Uh, I'm CJR at GetPayroll is my email, Charles J. Reed. Yeah. So they can email me there. If they've got something, they need a, a payroll question answered, 972-353-0000. That's my phone. I love it. Charles, it was so great getting to know you and hearing your story. Congrats on all your success. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the, the show, and and uh, we wish you continued success, sir. Josh, Cynthia, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here with you. Pleasure to have you. Always love talking to a Vietnam vet. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, listen to us every week on the Startup Radio Network, startupradionetwork.com. Listen, learn, get stuff done. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.